welcome to the Dead Lady Show podcast. I'm Susan Stone. And I'm Katie Derbyshire. And I'm Florian Dysons, and together we are the co-founders of the Dead Lady Show. The Dead Lady Show celebrates forgotten and also possibly quite infamous women who achieved impressive things against all odds while they were alive. The show is recorded in front of a delightful audience in Berlin, and on the podcast we bring you a special selection of talks from these events. We're taking over from Susan this episode because this presentation is by Susan herself. She's going to talk about Lotte Reiniger, who was a pioneer of animation who worked right here in Berlin. It was recorded live at a coot, and to our delight, we found out afterwards that a relative of Lotte's was actually in the audience. Now, you'll know Susan as our intrepid podcast host and producer, and she's going to be making the edits to this, so who cares what we say? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know I'm leaving that in. <laughs> You'll know Susan as our intrepid podcast host and producer, but she also works as an accomplished journalist and she's a member of the Rias Berlin Commission Media Prize Jury. So without further ado, Susan Stone on Lotte Reiniger. If Lotte Reiniger's life were a fairy tale, it might be called The Girl with the Magical Scissors. Or even more simply, she has fairy hands, which is what French filmmaker Jean Renoir said about Lotte. But as we know, fairy tales, Märchen, especially those set in Germany, are a little bit more grim than Disney. Still, they can have happy endings. Act one, the magical scissors. Charlotte Reiniger was born in what's now Charlottenburg, Berlin, in 1899 to cultured parents. She had a happy childhood, listening to her grandmother's stories and fairy tales, and going with her to the cinema. Her banker father introduced her to art early on, bringing Lotte to his friend's ateliers. Precocious and confident, almost as soon as young Lotte could pick up a pair of scissors, she was cutting out precise and intricate paper silhouettes to delight her family and friends. She called it an uncanny ability. You might say she had sheer talent. <laughs> but Lotta wanted her creations to move, and by the age of 12, she built a shadow theater, using it for a performance of Shakespeare at school. In 1916, Lotta went to a lecture by Paul Wegener called Neue Kinoziele, New Goals of Cinema, which talked about animation and special effects. Her future was decided on the spot. Wegener was an accomplished actor who often used fantastic elements in his work. So here, here he is in one of uh, his most famous roles in 1915 as the golem, a monster being offered an apple by a little girl. Uh, you can see why Lotta might be entranced. She was 16 at the time, and she decided she had to meet him. So Lotta convinced her parents to let her enter the drama school associated with the theater where Wegner taught. Students weren't allowed to watch rehearsals there, but they could sign on to be extras. So Lotta had ample time while literally waiting in the wings. She knew she had to catch the eye of the important people, especially Paul Wegner. Watching the actors, she cut silhouettes of them in their best moments. She had a photographic memory, which helped. The actors loved it, and she got the attention she wanted, including that of Paul Wegner. Wegner hosted regular salons in his house with the best of creative society, and Lotta was there. He convinced his rich friends to buy her silhouettes and gave Lotta her first film job. I pestered that poor man uh, no end. I only understand now how really awful I was. Whenever he had a free moment in his box, half an hour pause, I came there with my drawings and so on. But he was very kind. 
That was Lotta speaking in 1976. There she is. Uh, Lotta started cutting intertitles for him in 1916. Those were essential for silent movies. In 1917, Wegener was filming the Pied Piper of Hamelin. You probably know that story, right? A piper is hired to lure the rats out of a town, and when not paid, he comes back for the children. Anyway, Wegener's crew tried to use real rats, but they all ran off, and they wouldn't follow the piper. So um, then they tried guinea pigs. They painted them gray. They tied on long tails. But when the director called action, they just sat there. So Lada came up with the idea to use animated paper rats. They're well-behaved, uh, when it worked perfectly. So that year, also, a book of her silhouettes was published. She was just 18. Wegner introduced Lada to a group of young people making animated films at the Institut for Kulturforschung, and in December 1919, Lada made her first stop-action animated film there, Das Ornament des Verliebten Herzen, The Ornament of the Loving Heart. Romance was in the air. Uh, <laughs> Lotte and her colleague Karl Koch, that nice gent with the glasses, hit it off, and in 1921 they married. Karl was seven years older, an art historian, making his own educational films at the Institute. They formed a partnership for life and work. At the Institute, Lotte honed her technique. She used a camera attached to a bicycle pump for the stop-motion capture, and she created complex moving figures. She made more short films, including The Star of Bethlehem, Cinderella, and Sleeping Beauty. The cut paper silhouettes were seen as a bit kitschish at the time, um, but Lotta refreshed their image. Her intricate, cutting-edge work was in demand from other directors, including G.W. Pabst and Fritz Lang, who wanted her film intertitles and short animation effects. And Lotta made a few commercial films, including The Marquise's Secret about a beautiful lady and her admirer. Oh, beauty, please do let me know which god chose to adorn you so. Could it be? <gasps> it's Nivea. <laughs> <laughs> Nivea soap and Nivea cream. Her face, an all entrancing dream, thanks to Nivea soap and cream. So uh, this uh, piece in reverse with graceful white silhouettes against the black background uh, was compared to Wedgwood pottery. And uh, as it turns out, as we see, the Marquis's secret is Nivea. Um, but the money uh, Lotta made was sunk back into making more films, and it just wasn't enough. Act two, the prince. So in 1922, Carl and Lotta began to supplement their income by teaching. Some stories say that Louis Hagen, a patron of the arts, visited the Institute and saw Lotta and Carl at work on a short film, and then asked if they could make a full-length feature and offered to cover the costs. Now, other stories say the pair were already teaching Hagen's children when they made the offer, but eh, no matter. According to some sources, Hagen had invested in raw film stock to hedge against inflation, and he had plenty to spare. But either way, Lotta didn't hesitate. She decided to create a feature based on A Thousand and One Arabian Nights. There was plenty of source material, and audiences of the time were keen on exoticism. So Lotta and Carl and a few other artists set up in Hagen's villa in Potsdam, where they worked in a low-ceilinged room at the top of the garage night and day. When they weren't animating, they were teaching Louis Hagen's five children and ten of the neighbor's kids, with Carl covering geography and history and Lotta instructing in art. Louis Jr., who will show up again later, recalled that in Potsdam, the family, teachers, and animators would all eat lunch together. 
When the bell rang, he said, you would hear a cacophony of moans and groans straight out of a torture chamber as the artists had spent the last five hours around the animation table, hunched over it or on their knees. Lotte designed this animation table, or Tricktisch, and set it up with a multiplane camera she developed to shoot several layers at once. Each figure had to be positioned on a pane of glass. Below that was another glass for the background. Sand, soap, wax, tissue paper, silver paper, painted glass, they were all used to create background effects. These flat puppets with their articulated hinged limbs would be moved slightly, the camera would capture an image, and then they'd be moved again and again and again to tell the story of a daring prince, his beautiful sister who married Aladdin of the magical lamp, a mysterious fairy who could transform into a bird, an evil magician with a flying horse, and much, much more. In the end, the team led by Lotta worked for three years and animated 250,000 frames. They used 96,000 of them for the 65-minute and absolutely stunning adventures of Prince Ahmed. Now here we see the prince uh, flying to the island of Wakwak, Wakwak, and um, having an adventure, as you see. He's young and brave and never says no to an adventure. And he does get up to no good. This actually was one of my favorite scenes from the film here, which is, uh, we'll see it when the color changes. Um, and it does prove that Prince Ahmed is a bit of a cad, but I think that's okay. So when the film was finished, it needed an audience. They'd had no time in the past three years for marketing or planning a premiere. With the help of their friend, a playwright Bertolt Brecht, a screening location was found in the Volksbühne, just up the road from here, and a date was set. Sunday morning, May 2nd, 1926. <laughs> yeah, so here Prince Ahmed is up to no good with these uh, servant girls. Yeah, who are you girls? <laughs> so they're serving Paribanu, the uh, leader of the spirit land there. And yeah, Prince Ahmed has a jolly old time. So <laughs> the film was also a great success at that screening in Berlin, and an official premiere was held in Paris in July. Uh, then Prince Ahmed screened continuously there for six to nine months. It was at that time when they met director Jean Renoir. Lotte didn't speak French, but Carl did, and so they became fast friends. Since Paris set the trend, Germany could follow. Prince Ahmed had its official Berlin debut in September 1926, complete with a live orchestra, newsreel, and cabaret dancer at the Gloria Palast on the Kudam. Uh, Prince Ahmed, unfortunately, was not a commercial hit at home. Its distributors shipped it to cinemas labeled as a detective film. So, <laughs> oops. Uh, so many just screened the first reel and then stopped. And this infuriated Carl. Stories say he would jump on stage and protest at these incomplete screenings, sometimes even being carried off to jail. Th this might not be completely accurate. However, Prince Ahmed's reputation traveled as fast as a flying horse. The film was shown in London in 1927, Japan in 1929, and it traveled to the US in a limited way in 1931. It was back to work for Lotta and Carl. They returned to short films, including a series based on the Dr. Doolittle books that saw Lotta doing physical research at the zoo, trying to learn all the movements of the animals so she could translate them to film. Sound was becoming more and more important, too, and Lotta was up for the challenge. In 1930, she made Sein Minuten Mozart, her first sound film, which premiered in London, setting a new standard. Act three, the dark times. Uh, Lotta generally wasn't much for politics. She was too focused on her work, and she was very busy in the 1930s. In fact, she created 16 uh, films during the decade, despite the unstable climate. 
There is a much repeated quote from Lot that says, I believe in the truth of fairy tales more than I believe in the truth in the newspaper. But at the same time, Karl was actively watching the changing mood in Germany. He and Bert Brecht went out to the Kudam when Hitler's followers were marching there, and they yelled at them and called them Philistines. Brecht and his family then fled Germany in 1933. So Lotte was quite worried for her husband, and she encouraged Karl to go to Paris, where Jean Renoir was filming Madame Bovary. That left her alone to work in the face of increasing censorship. Two films she made in 1934 were approved by the Nazis. One, The Rolling Wheel, was repurposed as a propaganda film, ending with Hitler at the groundbreaking ceremony for the Audubon. The second one was called The Stolen Heart, which tells about an evil ogre who wants to control everyone and everything. Musical instruments fight him and defeat him. Somehow the men in charge missed Lotta's hidden message. Uh, <laughs> uh, Nazi propaganda minister uh, Josef Goebbels had a special showing of the film. So Karl and Lotta held out, hoping things would improve in Germany until more friends started being targeted. Composer Peter Gellhorn, whose father was Jewish, was forbidden to work by the Nazis, but Lotta continued to employ him and even put his name in the credits. In September 1935, Lotta and Karl were ordered to stop working with Gellhorn, and he escaped to London. Lotta and Karl followed. Oh, this, this is actually Paris, but. <clears throat> uh, Lotta and Karl followed. It was good timing. A museum in Bristol planned to exhibit Lotta's work. The show was well received and moved on to the Victoria and Albert Museum, making Lotta the first foreigner to exhibit there. They traveled to Italy to work on the film Tosca with John Renoir, who then fled from there to the US in 1940. And here are uh, Lotta and Jean on the film set. <laughs> so Lotta and Carl stayed in Italy, returning to Germany in 1943 to take care of Lotta's mother, who was ill and almost starving to death. Nearly 50 Koch had drafted into the military. Desperate and not having made a film since 1939, Lotta agrees to make The Golden Goose for the Nazis in 1944. This is the only film she made officially for them. With the money, she's able to buy food for the family. The Battle of Berlin in 1945 devastates the city. Lotta and her mother survive. The negative of Prince Ahmed does not. In fact, many of Lotta's original films were lost, and only later were copies found in the British Film Institute. Karl goes AWOL and manages to escape to safety while hiding from both the Germans and the Russians, but he becomes ill from nutrition. Lotte keeps working, cutting silhouettes from leftover food packaging and whatever she can find. Unable to make films, she creates shadow puppets for theaters. Act four, the primrose path. The couple decide they must return to London, immigrating in 1949. Lotte is known and respected here and gets work easily. She creates promotional films for the British General Post Office and the Crown Film Unit. She begins to remake her fairy tale films for American and British audiences, toning down the Grimm Brothers style of violence. One day, Louis Hagen Jr. reappears in their lives. Now an adult, he's not had it easy. At 15, he was taken to a concentration camp in Schloss Lichtenberg for sending his sister a postcard containing a joke saying, toilet paper is now forbidden, so there are even more brown shirts. <laughs> Family connections got him out, and he went to England in 1936, became a pilot, author, and journalist. In a forest once grew a beautiful flower, and from that flower was born a beautiful and tiny little girl, who was so small that she was called 
Thumbelina. So Louis sees Lottie's work on the BBC and tracks her down. He helps Lottie and Carl found Primrose Film Productions, 30 years after they tutored him in Potsdam. They produced 25 films together. It is a productive and happy time. Until Carl Koch dies in 1963. Now at this time, Lotta is in her early 60s. She stops animating, missing collaboration with her true love and her work partner. Then in 1972, Lotta is recognized for her contributions to German cinema during the International Berlin Film Festival, the Berlinale. She receives a Lifetime Achievement Award. In 1975, Lotta is coaxed back to the Trichtisch to start work anew, and she creates three more films before she dies in 1981, having moved back to Germany. Act five, the queen of silhouettes. For a while, it seemed like Lotta Reiniger had been forgotten, or at least unappreciated, although she made nearly 80 films during her lifetime, with many firsts among them. Prince Ahmed is now considered by most to be the first animated feature film. Walt Disney Studios claimed that honor for years with Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, which came out a full 11 years later in 1937. The animation desk, or trick-tish, that Lottie developed and her multiplane camera, which made it possible to photograph layers, were patented by Walt Disney and his colleagues in 1940. Boo. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Some criticized Lottie's work for being too samey. Others called it cute and folksy. Maybe she was nearly forgotten because she was a woman in a man's world of animation. Maybe it's because she was a German working around World War II. Maybe because she focused on fairy tales. It's not important. What is important is that Lotta's work has been rediscovered, and her style of silhouette animation is still being practiced with a touch of the modern. These images are from the film Tales of the Night by Michel Ocelot, which screened at the Berlinale in 2011. It mixes cut silhouette animation in 3D. You can see the obvious influence of Prince Ahmed in the contrast of black figures against the vividly colored and uh, complex background. There's another. So Ocelot has actually been called the male Lotte Reiniger. Yes. <laughs> um, Ocelot also used silhouettes in the music video for Bjork's Earth Intruders, pairing her image swirling colors and again those black cutout figures. <coughs> Here's a scene now from Harry Potter, The Deathly Hallows Part One, <laughs> from an animation sequence by Ben Hibben. Though done with contemporary techniques, there are similarities to Lotta's work. Lotta Reiniger's work has, of course, influenced numerous female animators, including Rebecca Sugar, the first solo woman creator of a series at the Cartoon Network. This is from her Steven Universe. As well as Brenda Chapman, co-director of Brave, the first woman to win an Oscar for Best Animated Feature, and Nora Toomey, who made Secret of the Kells and called Lotta animation's very own Cinderella. These days, some say Lotta Reiniger could have led Germany to be an animation leader competing with Disney Studios had World War II not broken out. Oh, speaking of Disney, Lotta actually visited California in the 1970s and toured Walt Disney Studios, though she never met the man who made the mouse that roared. In 1980, when asked what she thought of Disney's work, Lotta replied, his films are technically perfect. Too perfect. <laughs> the factory setting of the studio didn't really impress Lotta either. She was largely a one-woman show. Lotta's legacy has been the subject of several documentaries in German and English and is the topic of an award-winning short film called Lotta, That Silhouette Girl that's actually right now making the rounds at festivals. And in 2016, she was honored by a Google Doodle, that peculiar accolade of our age. 
But notably, the artist who made the digital doodle used uh, Lotta's paper silhouette technique, so it's okay. <laughs> Lotta's tools and equipment can be seen in the Stadtmuseum Tübingen and in the Film Museum Dusseldorf. Her films can be found online and on DVD, like this one, kindly donated to the Dead Lady Show by the lovely people at Milestone Films. Find them, watch them, remember her. Susan Stone on Lotte Reiniger. Susan will be joining us in a few minutes to talk about podcast stuff, but first we've got all these other things to tell you. Yes, things are abuzz here at The Dead Lady Show. And the first thing we need to tell you about, because it's happening relatively soon, is that there's going to be a New York City edition um, happening on September 5th at the KGB Bar, uh, which is a lovely place where I have um, seen awesome things being read and also have read some work myself. Mm. I know. Yeah. And it's, that's organized by a good friend and a longtime audience member of the live shows here in Berlin. Her name is Molly O'Laughlin, and I can't wait to tell you more about who's going to be talking about whom um, and what it's all going to be about. It's getting very excited. I'm pleased. Uh, even further afield, from Berlin anyway, is uh, New Zealand. The New Zealand Literature Festival Lit Crawl in Wellington is having their own little dead lady show very excitingly sometime between the 8th and the 11th of november and we'll let you know when we know when that's happening and where but i think it's gonna be great will Catherine mansfield be one of the ladies i don't know it's the only dead kiwi lady i know well we'll i hope we find <laughs> out more dead new zealand ladies some point soon yes um, in November here in Berlin, we'll do a very special event uh, together with Bard College Berlin, um, centering around the 100th anniversary of the publication of Frankenstein, um, which means that we'll be talking about Mary Shelley, and we'll be talking about... Um, We're going to be talking about Mary Shelley's mother, Mary Wollstonecraft, and... And Lord Byron's daughter, Ada Lovelace, who invented the computer. Well, that's going to be a good one. Um, before that, we have our own next live show in Berlin with, we're going to do something slightly different this time, trying out. We've got some guest DJs coming to play some special music by dead ladies, and I can't wait to hear what they serve up for us. Also, it'll be my birthday. Oh, God. Yeah. So we can do dancing. I'd forgotten it was your birthday. Yes. So uh, put on your dancing shoes if you're in Berlin on the 11th of September. Come and join us at Akud for some um, information and exhilaration. And we're going to let Susan back into the studio to tell us about a podcast festival she recently attended. Oh, thank you, Katie. You're welcome. <laughs> it is my studio after all, but <laughs> or my corner in front of a bookcase. <laughs> um, so yeah, last weekend I was at Shout Out Live Radical Women, a very cool podcast festival in London. And as the name implies, it was full of awesome and really supportive women um, who shared their advice, contacts, candy, business cards, and sweet potato fries. Uh, some of them, but not all of them, uh, who I want to mention include Susie Buttress of the Casual Birder podcast, Izzy Lawrence, who is a podcaster and historic comedian, Sarah May and Beth from the Sugar Baby Confessionals, 
I have not yet heard the Sugar Baby Confessionals, but um, I, I recommend checking it out. Ruth from Things Intersect podcast, which is about women in tech. Nima, Stacy, and Jay from Brown About Town, London. Podcast producer Lori Martinez, who is a cool former public radio person like myself. Um, if I'm allowed to call myself cool, <laughs> that was by accident. Um, and many more. Um, and I learned about my new favorite podcast. It's called No Country for Young Women. It's hilarious, irreverent, and smart. So check that one out. And you guys do. Okay. Finally, just a shout out to some of our friends who give us love in the virtual world. Podcast What's Her Name and the Femcyclopedia. And also Lotta Studio, who are the makers of the short film I mentioned in my talk. It's called uh, Lotta, That Silhouette Girl. And they introduced me just this morning via the Twitter to a fabulous word, salligraphy. 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 Yeah. Rhymes with? Calligraphy. Calligraphy. <laughs> yeah. But starts with a P? Yeah, yeah. it's a, you know, PSA. Like, so, so for some of us, PSA means public service announcement. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it's nothing to do with this, but still. Did she make any public service announcements? Uh, you know, she did make uh, ads and um, she did, I wouldn't call them public service announcements, but yeah, she did some things for the post office mm-hmm. in Britain. And yeah, so, so there is a connection. But anyway, calligraphy with a PSA means the art of cutting out silhouettes which is very relevant to today's show. So we love that word. So thank you, Katie and Florian. Thanks, Susan. Uh, She'll be back in the host seat on our next episode. Don't worry. You can find us via Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Dead Lady Show, or drop us a line at info at deadladyshow.com. Our show notes, including photos of Lotta, Prince Ahmed, and more, await you at deadladyshow.com, which is also home to our Hall of Dames, a list of all the ladies we featured in the past. Our theme song is Little Lily Swing by Tritachion, which you can find on SoundCloud, which also hosts all episodes of the Dead Lady Show podcast. We're, of course, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, Acast, Pocket Casts, and Google Play Music. I'm Katie. I'm Florian. And thanks to everyone for joining us. Until next time. Support for this episode of the Dead Lady Show podcast comes from the Berliner Senat.